Well, good morning. Good morning. It's great to be gathered with you here this morning. If you're out in the foyer, I want you to make your way in as we begin our time of worship together. You'll notice this morning can be a little bit different because we don't have a worship team. Our, our worship leaders gave a ton of time and energy to preparing our Christmas services and we're giving them a well-earned week off. And so we have pre-recorded music from them that you'll see on the screens in just a moment. We will worship that way this morning. We'll trust that God can still work through that to draw us into worship and to help us reflect on all that he's done for us. So as we get started this morning, would you join me in a moment of prayer? Father, we thank you for this time to gather together as your people in this place. We pray that this morning would serve to encourage our hearts, encourage our minds, encourage our souls, and draw us to yourself. We pray that you be glorified by all that take place here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we sing?
You may be seated. Well, again, good morning, and it's a joy to, to gather with you here this morning. We're glad that you're here with us as we come together to, to remember all that God has done for us in Jesus. I hope and I trust you had a, a good Christmas season. Um, yeah, if you're new or visiting, uh, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. And we're, again, just glad that you're here with us this morning. Just a couple of announcements to bring to your attention about things that are coming up in the new year, one is that starting in two weeks on, on January 14th, or January 13th, wherever that Sunday is, we're going to start um, a, a book series called Habits of the Household. Right? Um, it's going to be during the Sunday school hour, 10.30 to 11.30, um, and it's primarily targeted at parents, um, but it's also for anyone who spends extended periods of time with children, and so if you're a grandparent or a an uncle or an aunt who spends time with a child that invites you to come be a part of this. So it'll be over in the library, 10.30 to 11.30, starting January 14th. Um, and it's the book focused on like how do we incorporate spiritual practices, spiritual rhythms into all the day-to-day things that take place in life. Um, and so I just encourage you to be a part of that. There is a book called Habits of the Household that I've read and think is helpful. It's not required to read that to be a part of the study. It's a video study. It's all self-contained. But if you're interested, I invite you to check out that book. The other thing we'll start starting next week in the new year is a, a focus on scripture memory. And so to talk a little bit more about that, I'm going to invite Emery Ogren to come. So if you are a little curious, like I was, why they're called fighter verses, because um, I'm thinking, yeah, why fighter verses? Um, uh, Truth 78, which is the ministry that has put this program together, um, is really there for equipping next generation to know, honor, and treasure God. And they're goal is how do you handle unbelief, temptation, and discouragement? And the real way is to do it um, by fighting the good fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So I don't know if you're still sitting on the fence. We've been talking about this for a few weeks. Um, It really comes down to motivation, and it's hard work. It is hard work to memorize scripture, but when we do it together, there's a big encouragement. and I think it's great to welcome the new year in with Bible memorization. <clears throat> this morning on the radio, I don't know if any of you listen to um, WRVM in the mornings, but <clears throat> this morning they had a news story on that the number one verse that was um, from the U version, I think it's called the U version, the number one verse that was searched commented and um, something else what, um, in scripture was Isaiah 41.10 which is the very first scripture verse um, this week right? <laughs> 41.10 so I guess if we could just encourage people um, to do it together um, we can all move forward with um, ready to fight the good fight so Uh, Truth 78 has given us a number of tools. Each week in our bulletins, we're going to have the verse printed. There'll be slides up front. You can sign up for email reminders. In the bulletin, you'll see the website for Truth 78 Fighter Verses. There's also an app that you can download, and it has quizzes um, to help aid in um, memorization. You can listen to the verse. Um, You can just put it on repeat and keep hearing it. They have songs that go with each verse, not go with the verse. The verse is set to music, um, so you can sing it. And they have, um, you can uh, use it as a lock screen on your phone or your um, device. 
and have it um, every time you go to your phone, it will be the verse of the week. And my favorite is a devotional. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever gone into a room and there's been a conversation going on and <clears throat> you hear just little pieces of it and you say, wait, what's this about? What are they talking about? The um, downside of just picking verses is that we don't know them in context. So each week, Truth 78 will have a devotional that kind of explains the context of the verse and what it means and how it's applicable to our life. So my question is, will you make Bible memory a priority this year? Starting this week, Isaiah 41.10. Thank you, MA. Um, yeah, I just encourage you to, if that's something you're interested in and in memorizing the Bible, to, to be a part of that. Um, yeah, she said that there are tools online, there's an app, there's lots of ways you can memorize it, but I would encourage you to be a part of that if that's something you're interested in. As we continue in our time of worship this morning, would you again join me in a time of prayer? Father God, as we gather here this morning on the eve of a new year and the opportunity that prompts in us to reflect back and to look ahead, we pray that we would look back remembering all the, the ways you have cared for us this past year, even when Life has been hard, even when there have been trials and difficulties. You have been good to us. You've given us life and breath and the ability to live here. You are a giver of good things. We pray that we would remember that this morning as we look forward to the new year. We hope and we dream and we think about this new year may hold. We pray that we would trust your plan for us in the new year, that what you have for us would be more important to us than our own desires. That we would grow to be more and more like Jesus, that we would live lives that honor you in this new year. Wherever you may lead us, whatever you may call us to, whatever trials we may go through in the new year, would our lives be marked by a worship of you, a glorifying of you, and the trust in your love for us and your goodness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, would you stand once again as we continue to sing?
Father God, we, we confess that what we sang is it's just true that you are good. You've always been faithful to us. And yet, we confess as well that it is sometimes hard to feel your goodness, to want to sing of your goodness. And so we pray that this morning you would work in us to assure us that you are good, that you love us, that you care for us. That even in the midst of trials and difficulties, you are good, you are faithful. You are worthy of our praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Kids in 4K through second grade have the option at this time to head downstairs and go to Children's Church. In Alexander Dumas' book, The Count of Monte Cristo, we, we follow the life of a man named Edmund Dantes. And when the book opens, he seems to have almost the perfect life. He's 19 years old. He's about to be made the captain of a ship. He's about to get engaged to the beautiful and kind Mercedes. And it seems like everything is going his way. But often what happens when everything is going someone's way is that it breeds jealousy among others, and that happens in the life of, of Dantes. Several men are, are jealous of him, and so they conspire together to write a letter where he's falsely accused of treason. As a result of this letter, and as a result of these false accusations, Dantes is convicted and sent to prison. And while in prison, Dantes befriends an Italian priest named Abbe Faria. And Abbe Faria teaches Dantes all kinds of things, history and science and philosophy and language. He turns him into this well-rounded, well-educated man. And in addition to that education, Faria also bequeaths to Dantes a large treasure hidden on the island of Monte Cristo. And Faria tells Dantes that if he ever were to escape, that he can go and have the treasure. He tells him where to find it and how to get to it. So after 14 years of, of Dantes being in jail, Faria dies. And Dantes hides himself in Faria's burial shroud, and he uses that to escape prison. He then travels to Monte Cristo, where he finds the immense treasure that Faria had promised him. And well, there he takes on the persona of the Count of Monte Cristo. And so it seems like now Dantes has all the freedom he could ever want. He's, he's free from prison. He has all kinds of wealth. He can live however he wants. He is free and clear. There's no constraints on his life. But as the story progresses, we find that Dante is not truly free. Because instead of using his freedom and his immense wealth to build a new life where he finds happiness and joy... He spends immense amounts of time and money concocting these elaborate schemes where he tries to get revenge on the men who betrayed him. And he does, slowly, one by one, get his revenge. But as he gets that revenge, he finds out that the revenge is hollow. The revenge is unsatisfying. And he begins to wrestle internally with the morality of seeking that revenge. He also realizes that he's hurt many innocent people along the way in his quest for revenge. And that Dante's kind of relentless pursuit of justice and revenge has taken a toll on his soul. So instead of finding true freedom when he escaped from prison, all Dante's really did was merely trade one kind of imprisonment for another. He was free from prison, but he was not truly free. He was now enslaved to this fruitless hope of revenge. He traded one kind of imprisonment for another. And in chapter 4 in the book of Galatians, we see something similar happening. Paul tells the people who are in the churches in Galatia that, that they're doing the same thing as Dante's. 
They've been offered this opportunity to be truly free by Jesus. They've been offered true freedom. But instead of embracing that true freedom, they've instead chosen to exchange one kind of slavery, one kind of imprisonment for another. And what Paul's going to tell them in, in this part of the letter, and what I hope we all hear this morning and apply to our own life this morning, is that the call of Jesus, like what Jesus offered us, is not to run from one form of slavery to another. But the call of Jesus is to run from slavery to true freedom. Jesus doesn't just offer us bondage by another name. He offered us true freedom. As a reminder, Paul is writing this letter to a group of churches that are in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And in this, these churches, there's this conflict about whether Gentiles, so non-Jews, need to obey the laws and customs of the Old Testament in addition to following after Jesus. What Paul is going to say in this passage is that if the answer is yes, right, if they need to follow those Old Testament laws then they're no better off than they were before. Look what Paul says in verse 8. That before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So Paul here is referring to a life of kind of paganism that most of the Gentile Christians in Galatia would have come out of. Right? Atheism was pretty much non-existent back then and Everyone has some kind of belief in some kind of higher power. And so for everyone in the church in Galatia who hadn't been Jewish previously, they had likely been some form of, of pagan. Right? They participated in some kind of idol worship with all kinds of sacrifices and, and practices that we would consider immoral. And Paul says here, before, before they knew God, they were slaves to that paganism. They were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. Before they, they knew, before they knew God, they were slaves to their pagan religion. But then Paul continues in verse 9. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? And if we only read these couple of verses, we might think that that the Galatians were thinking about and contemplating going back to their old paganism. Like, go back and become slaves once more. Like, surely Paul's talking about going back to paganism. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Like, we read in verse 10. You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. That's a reference to all the, the special feasts and celebrations that the Old Testament law required. I'm not going to go into them all this morning, but if you're curious, you can go read Leviticus 23. They're all there. And so the way the Galatians are going back and becoming slaves once more is it's not by going back to paganism, but instead by adopting Old Testament legalism. They're equating the two together. Paganism and Old Testament legalism are, are one and the same. They're both slavery. Paul drives it up in verses 11 and 12. He says, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. Paul saying, when I came to trust in Jesus, I became like you Gentiles, not in your paganism, but in your freedom from not having to keep the Old Testament laws and traditions anymore. So now why would you try to become like the old me when I've become like you? Jesus offered true freedom. He offered freedom from both paganism and from the Old Testament legalism. So what you Galatians are doing when you, when you add the Old Testament law on top of Jesus is you're simply trading one kind of slavery for another. You're trading the slavery of paganism for the slavery of Old Testament legalism. And that's not, Paul says, what Jesus came for. That's not what he came to offer. Jesus came to offer true freedom, not just a different form of slavery. But Paul says, I, I plead with you. 
live in freedom, to live as I do, in freedom. Again, the call of Jesus is not to run from one form of slavery to another. The call of Jesus is to run from slavery to true freedom. The call of Jesus, what Jesus offered us, is to realize that the way that we have peace with God, the way our sins can be forgiven, the way we can experience peace and blessing from God, is Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus went to the cross to take away our sins and and offer us His righteousness in return. So that when we trust in Jesus, when God looks at us, He sees not our sins, not all the things we've done wrong in the past, but He sees the perfect life that Jesus lived. Doesn't matter what we've done, doesn't matter how bad of sins we think we've committed. If we trust Jesus, Paul tells us we're a new person. The old sinful self has been put to death with Jesus on the cross. And we become new, fully forgiven people who are perfectly righteous in God's eyes and perfectly free. If that's the case, then the nothing you do can make God love you more. And no amount of rule keeping can earn you more of God's favor. Because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And there's no topping Jesus. Nothing you do, good or bad, is going to change that if you've trusted in Jesus. So you are free. That's the freedom that Paul is pleading with the Galatians to live in. That's the freedom that I deeply desire for each of us to live in. Don't live in that freedom if we've trusted in Jesus. If you're here this morning, you've never made the choice to trust Jesus, right, to believe that Jesus died for your sins, then that's the first step to any of this. And I invite you to, to trust in Him. If you have questions about how that works or what this means, I'd love to talk to you more about that. But that's the message that Paul preached to the Galatians. That they are made right with God through faith in Jesus. And not Jesus plus following certain rules or keeping certain holidays or obeying certain food laws, but just trusting in, in Jesus. And Paul frustrated with the Galatians for their desire to try to add other things on top of Jesus. And you may say, like, well, that's great, but that's 2,000 years ago. I'm not going to worship idols. But I think if Paul were here today, he would get a very similar thing to say to many people in the church. In verse 8, Paul said that before the Galatians knew God, they were slaves to pagan idols. And in verse 10, he tells them they have turned from that idolatry to legalism. He said to them, you are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. They're both slavery. And in today's world, for us today, like our idolatry and our legalism may look different. But I think they're just as pervasive. Our idolatry may not manifest itself by when we go to a pagan temple and, and worship at the foot of a golden statue. Right? Probably no one's doing that. And if you are, we should probably talk. But no no one's doing that, right? But our idolatry may very well manifest itself when we worship the idol of career success by spending too much time at the temple we call work. Or our idolatry may manifest as we worship the idol of materialism and as we go to the temples we call stores. Or our idolatry may manifest as we worship the idol of food by overindulging at the temples we call restaurants. Or our worship, or our, our doctrine we manifest as we, as we worship the idol of social significance at the temple we call gossip. Or our, our doctrine may manifest as we, as we worship the idol we call sympathy at the temple we call 
complaining. Like our idols today, it may not be statue made of gold, but we still have many, many idols. We're called to not be slaves to those idols anymore. We must be on guard against slave, slavery to idolatry. So we must be on guard that way. We must be on guard against slavery to idolatry, but we also must be on guard against slavery to legalism. We've got to be careful not to overreact and go the other way. There's a, there's a series of videos online where, where this guy goes to the campus of BYU, right, which is the biggest Mormon university in the world, and he, he interviews students there, and he asks them questions like, have you ever seen an R-rated movie? And it's like against their, their code of conduct, so most students will say no. Or some will say they watch them, but only through like an editing service approved by the Mormon church. Or occasionally there will be an interview where, where a student will confess that, yeah, I've watched an R-rated movie, but they always do it with deep shame and some kind of excuse. Or another frequent question is, like, what's your favorite party drink? The Mormons ban alcohol and caffeine, and so they answered always something like Kool-Aid <laughs> or chocolate milk. Right? And so the Mormon church has, has these strict rules against R-rated movies and against drinking caffeine or alcohol. It's a very legalistic culture. You can see that in the videos and the, the burden these people bear. And we don't have the same rules as, as Mormonism, but we can be just as legalistic. Our, our legalism looks different than the legalism of either the Galatians or the Mormons. But it's still there. Like you probably don't feel the need to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. Or to abstain from shellfish or to abstain from coffee to earn God's favor. Probably don't do those things thinking they're going to make God happy with you. But you might think that church attendance... Bible reading, or abstaining from certain media, or voting a certain way will, will help you earn God's favor. And those are just as legalistic. Now hear me clearly. Those things aren't bad. And in fact, in a few minutes, I'm going to encourage you to, to make reading the Bible a priority in 2024. It's good to read the Bible. It's good that you're here at church there are certainly some kinds of meat that we probably shouldn't consume, even if we all draw the line at a different place. And you should think carefully about who you're going to vote for and how that reflects your values. A few months ago, I preached a whole sermon series on why it is wise and good to keep the Sabbath, which is another reason, another practice that Jews often treated legalistically. But they're all good things. I want to be very clear. Saying, be on guard against legalism is not the same thing as saying, never do some of the things people are prone to treat legalistically. The question all comes down to, to motivation. Okay, you reading your Bible because you want to know God better or because you think it's going to make God bless you. Are you here at church for the chance to worship God, or because you think it's going to make God happy with you and earn him your favor. Again, Jesus has already done everything required to make God fully happy with you, to fully earn you God's favor. There's nothing you can add to that. So our life now is all about giving glory to God and remembering what Jesus has done for us and living out of that truth. There are many things that it is good and wise to do. But if we do them legalistically, if we do them as a way to make God love us more, or we do them as a way to make God into a genie who grants us wishes, or if we do them in a way where we're trying to like, force God to let us into heaven, then they're just another form of slavery. In verse 12, Paul says that because, because of Jesus, he, he lives in freedom. He's free from all the constraints of, of the Old Testament ritual laws. And he pleads with the Galatians to live free as well. Right, so that's, my, that's my hope for us. That as we head into this new year, we will live neither in slavery to idolatry, nor slavery to legalism. That we'll live 
following Jesus, like Paul, aware of the freedom Jesus offered us. And so the rest of our time this morning, I just want to look at the rest of, of, of Galatians 4 and consider three ways that, that Paul modeled for us that we can embrace this life of freedom. On Galatians 5, Paul writes, The Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. <clears throat> so this morning, we, we sit here on the eve of a new year. And oftentimes, a new year kind of causes us and encourages us to, to reflect on our lives. We, we, think, we think back about how we've lived in the year past and we look forward to how we want to live in the year ahead. There's not anything magical about January 1st. But it is good to take time at, at regular intervals to reflect on our lives and to, to examine the patterns and the, the practices and the rhythms that either intentionally or unintentionally have become a, a pattern in our lives. And then to just kind of make sure that those rhythms are, are leading us where we want to go. And if not, then to change them. If we start the new year, I just think it's a good time at any to, to think about the patterns in your life. I think about whether they're leading you where you want to be. <clears throat> and I would suggest that Galatians 5.1, which says, make sure you stay free. Make sure that you don't get tied up either in slavery to legalism or to idolatry. It's a, it's a worthwhile goal for the year ahead. To make sure you stay free. I just want to look at the passage. Three ways that Paul modeled for us that we can stay free in our lives and in the year ahead. The first one found in verse 13. Paul writes, You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. And so that's from the New Living Translation of the Bible, which is good, but I think it missed the point a little bit here. Pretty much every other modern translation of the Bible has something like the NIV translation, which says this. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. But it was because of an illness that Paul first preached the gospel, talked about Jesus, to the Galatians. We don't know all the details of what happened in Paul's life that made that true, but it, it seems like Paul's plan was not to stop in Galatia on his, one of his journeys. But that he, he got some kind of sickness, some kind of illness, and people like to speculate about what it is, but it doesn't really matter too much. What mattered is that Paul had this illness that, that made his plan change. Because his plan changed, Paul then got to share with Jesus, about Jesus, with the Galatians. He got to tell them about what Jesus had done for them. And pointed to the fact that, that Paul's illness, Paul's suffering in that was a part of God's plan and purpose and providence for the Galatians. And we, we see the providence of God even in, in suffering. We see the goodness of God even when things are hard. And so here's the takeaway for us if we think about 2024. We all have hopes and dreams and, and desire for what 2024 will look like. Probably all of them involve things going well for you. They probably involve your health or your happiness, your prosperity or your comfort. Right? But depending on how optimistic you are, it's somewhere between likely and certain that 2024 will not go as well as you're hoping right now. Right? As you think about 2024, like it's not almost certainly going to go as well as you're hoping it will go. Right? Plans that you thought you had will be thwarted, just like Paul's plans were thwarted by his illness. And in many cases, they're going to be thwarted for painful reasons. Reasons that may involve you suffering, hurting. But even that suffering and that hurting doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose. 
God used Paul's suffering and his illness to lead him to share Jesus with the Galatians. God had a plan for Paul's suffering. And the same thing could be true for, for us in 2024. Whatever plans we think we have, they may not come to fruition. But God still has a plan. Here's the thing. If you've, you've made an idol out of comfort, you've made an idol out of your own happiness or your own plans, you'll be blind to see how God can use your suffering. If comfort is an idol, when it's taken away, you'll just be bitter with God instead of seeing how God can work in the midst of your suffering like he did in the midst of Paul's. In Romans 5, Paul writes this. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We can rejoice, Paul says, when we run into problems and trials, ultimately because they're part of God's plan. We can only have that attitude towards suffering when we've already experienced the true freedom that Jesus offers. When our, when our comfort and our happiness is no longer an idol, can we have that kind of attitude? And so the first way that Paul modeled for us to remain free from both idolatry and legalism is to see even suffering as the providence of God, part of God's plan. We see the second way in verses 14 through 16. Paul writes this, But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or, or turn me away. Now you look, you, you, now you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure that you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? I think one of the things we see in these verses is how important relationships are in, in helping us live free. Paul is is pleading with the Galatians to not submit to all these Old Testament rituals and practices. He's rooting his plea in the fact that he has this deep, loving, pre-existing friendship and relationship with the Galatians. He's reminding them of all that he has done for them and all that they have done for him. Paul is going to speak, and has been speaking hard truths in this letter. He's been saying hard things. But in doing that, he's, he's banking on the fact that he has a long-standing relationship with the Galatians that's going to allow him to speak those hard truths. He's not speaking them out of nowhere. He's not speaking them from some high, mighty place of authority, but he's speaking them out of love for them. And likewise for us, having relationships, having friendships where we can both Speak hard truth and have hard truth spoken to us is vital to a healthy Christian life. So I'd encourage you in, in the year ahead to, to make it a priority to cultivate those kind of relationships. Cultivate relationships and friendships where, where you allow others to really see into your life. Allow others to see how you live to see if there are areas where you are prone to going back to slavery. Find someone who can lovingly point out areas in your life where you are not following Jesus as you should. And likewise, if you build relationships, like be willing, like Paul, to, to speak truth when it's needed. Point people to where they're falling short when it's needed, not out of a desire to win an argument, not out of a desire to prove that you're a better person, but out of, out of love, out of wanting the best for them, out of wanting them to stay free. 
If we're going to live free like Paul called us to in this passage, if we're going to stay free, we need people in our lives who love us, who will lovingly show us when we're drifting backward towards slavery. Developing these kinds of relationships can be scary. It can be scary to be known at a deep level. It can be scary and daunting to let others see our faults and our failures. I'm reminded of the the C.S. Lewis quote from his book, The Four Loves, where he writes this. That to love it all, to be vulnerable. To love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. It is a vulnerable place to let others look into your life and and see all your sins and all your failures. But at your faith with that vulnerability, if you're afraid of that vulnerability, I just encourage you to remember the gospel. That if you've trusted in Jesus, then your sins and your failures that they may see have already been dealt with. They've already been paid for. You don't need to feel shame when others see your sins and your failures because Jesus took that shame. Likewise, as you, you see others struggling, you see others sitting, you see others failing, you need to speak into their life. Don't do it from a place of moral superiority. Remember that you are the same as them. We are all sinners. None of us have a place to stand in judgment over others. We all have sin. It's all because of the gospel and Jesus taking our sin that we can lovingly point others towards the hope that is offered in Jesus. Cultivate relationships where others can, can see into your life. They can see your failures. They can help you live more like Jesus. They can help you live free. The final piece of guidance that Paul gives for remaining free is if found in verses 17 through 20. He writes this. Though false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good, they are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were there with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. So in these verses, Paul speaks about the danger of, of false teachers. Right? These teachers that are trying to get the Galatians to fall into legalism. And Paul says that these false teachers are, are just telling the Galatians what they want to hear to make them follow after them. They'll tell them anything to earn the Galatians' favor. But Paul says their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut them off from Paul and the truth that Paul tells. In 2 Timothy, Paul puts it another way. He says this, A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And Paul's speaking here about the, the great danger of having unfiltered inputs into our lives. Paul talks about teachers who will tell us whatever our itching ears want to hear. I don't think he's just talking about religious teachers. But everything we take in, everything that enters our minds, through our eyes, through our ears, everything we take in, 
the teacher of some sort, the news we watch, the social media we engage in, the, the advertisements we see, the movies we, we see, the, the TV shows we watch, the books we read, like, the gossip we indulge in, all of these things are teaching us one way or another. And they can have, if we're not careful, a very corrupting effect. We need to be careful about the things that we, we take in. All these things teach us in some way. So we need to, to filter our inputs. Paul says in Romans 12 too, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What you put into your mind matters. And so in 2024, I just encourage you to be thoughtful, be intentional about what enters your mind. In, in two ways. First, like be thoughtful about what you consume, especially media-wise. Like, especially as we get closer to, say, November of this year. Like, be careful about what you consume, what you watch, what you listen to, because all the influences that are coming in your ears, they have an agenda. So be on guard against things that are just telling you what you want to hear. And as you filter out some of those things you shouldn't be hearing, shouldn't be listening to, shouldn't be reading, shouldn't be seeing, also then fill your mind with good. We've talked about the value this morning of, of Scripture memory. Fill your mind with Bible verses that are memorized that can be a help in times of trouble. Fill your mind with, with good books, with quality content. And then finally, I just encourage you to, to make reading the Bible a priority in the year ahead. So I have a couple suggestions for a way to do that. Right? So probably many of you have had things you've done for years about how you want to read the Bible. There are a thousand plans online you can find. But if you've always struggled with like, reading the Bible, if you struggle to sit down and read and follow a plan that way, a couple of alternative options for you. One is an app called Dwell. So up front, I'll tell you what it is. It's a little more expensive. It's like $30 for the year. But it has dozens of built-in reading plans where it walks you through either the New Testament or the whole Bible in a year. You can just go each morning to that, open the app, and it's there ready for you. They also have something called Dwell Daily, which is only like five minutes, and it walks you through not every verse of the Bible, but kind of the big picture story of the Bible over the course of the year. And you can also just choose to listen to passages of Scripture as you feel led through this app. It's a well-done, helpful app. Another option is, is what I talked about last year, which is a plan called One Story That Leads to Jesus. That's from, from, the, uh, from the Bible Project. Right? And it's it's found in, in the version Bible app that we talked about earlier. And in that app, you can load that up. And, and this is a daily Bible reading that also gives you a video that kind of helps you explain what you're watching, what you're seeing, walk you through some of the big picture issues in the Bible that point us to Jesus. So there's a million different ways that you can make reading the Bible a priority in the year ahead. For some of you, it's reading through the whole thing. For some of you, it's maybe reading just the New Testament. For some of you, it's making a commitment to do anything each day. And wherever you're at, though, I just encourage you to, to make reading God's Word a, a priority in your life. That you fill your mind with good. So that the, the false teachings of the world, the, the bad influences in the world are not there As we, we come to the start of 2024, we think about what our lives we hope will look like in the year ahead. I just encourage you to, to be intentional about building rhythm, building habits, building disciplines into your life that draw you closer to Jesus. And in so doing, would you be able to live in the freedom that Paul calls us to live in, the freedom that Paul says is available to us in Jesus. Would we be people who live free? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you first and foremost and above all for all that you've done for us in Jesus. That we think back on all the celebrations we took part of this past week celebrating the birth of Jesus. Would we not just remember Jesus couple days a year, but with the fact that you sent Jesus to live among us, to die for us, be a reality that we feel deep in our hearts and our souls each day of our lives. With the fact that Jesus came and died for us, remind us how much you love us each and every day. Would we remember as well how how Jesus, by perfectly keeping the law, dying in our place, He he set us free from sin. and He set us free from the need to obey the law. But He invites us to follow Him. So God, would our lives be marked by love for others, will they be marked by seeking your glory? Will they be marked by doing good to others? Not because we think that will make you love us more. We know there's nothing we can do to make you love us more because you already love us fully in Jesus. But would we live the lives you called us to live because we love you and we want to glorify you. We believe that you're worthy of all honor and glory. So with the way we live, reflect and show the world around us what a great God you are, what a great Savior Jesus is. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave this morning, as you head into the new year, living, as Paul called us, free, you are dismissed.